Hey Conrad and Matt, I grew up a pretty conservative Christian and was always told mediums were a gateway to the devil or evil spirits. But as I've been deconstructing, I'm very curious about them. Are they really from the devil or are they actually talking to those who have passed on? I'm trying to figure out if they are legit or just scammers. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to the Ideas Digest podcast, where we explore challenging ideas that divide us in order to open our minds. My name's Conrad, and I'm joined by my fellow idea explorer, Matt. How you doing, Conrad? For those of you just tuning in, controversial opinions divide us wherever we are. No matter how challenging or offensive or weird the idea, or even how woo the idea or belief is, we do have a story that leads us to these ideas. And in this series, Matt and I are mixing up the interview format and diving headfirst into the stories behind these ideas. And Matt, I've come across a few stories in this book. The book is entitled The Psychic Test by a bloke called Gary Nunn. Uh, he lives in Australia, but he's uh, I think he's British. Have you heard of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was something I've, I thought I saw it in some bestsellers. You haven't read it. So I'm going to clickbait it for you to see if I can just really get everyone in straight away. Clickbait misleads, but I had fun making it. Clickbait is psychics and the elite, Satan. Or a hoax? Whoa. Are you in, Matt? I'm in. Are you in? <laughs> You've just touched on so many parts of my I'm... history right there, so I'm in. <laughs> I have dialed it up to 10 and specifically made it for you. <laughs> this book, written by a bloke called Gary Nunn, he's like a fair-haired, fit-looking guy, short little stubbly beard, got a British accent, so I assume he's from the UK. I'd probably ballpark him in his, in his late 30s, and he's an investigative journalist. And that's the tone of the book. So it's not like an autobiography. It's him doing some research into mediums. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an outline of the prologue and what got him into deciding to write a book and explore the growing phenomenon of mediums. Because I think, I don't know what you've heard, Matt, but I feel like this whole like woo, new age, medium, psychics, channeling, tarot, I feel like it's, it's gaining more popularity, would you say? Yeah, perhaps it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's always like, I guess, perhaps all these non-religious, all these, you know, millennials ticking non-religion on the census these days that are still eager to seek out certainty of some description and, or I guess a spiritual mentor or spiritual guidance. So I think that's what could be driving it. Prologue of the book begins with Gary. Uh, now Gary goes into a, gay networking event for professional, I guess just professionals in general. Uh, it's called Fruits in Suits. So he walks mm. into this, he, he's booked to come and he's, I guess, expecting to meet some new people, some new faces. And he admits he's kind of looking for a partner. Be nice to, you know, meet someone of similar, I guess, work status, who knows. Uh, and he walks into this bar and there's lots of, you know, good looking professional guys in there, a few women, and he sees across, uh, as soon as he walks in, he's like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, and he remembers there was, in fact, 
a medium being advertised at this event, like a medium was going to come in, a psychic was going to come in and they were going to do readings for people. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. And he, as soon as he saw it, walked in, he saw uh, this, this woman uh, with a man sitting across from her. And the man was like leaning in, like really interested, like hanging on every word this woman's saying. He's going, oh, that must be the medium. And um, she must be, she must be doing a reading. So Gary is an open-minded skeptic he describes himself as. So he's, you know, he, he, he says he's not really necessarily a believer. He's always been a bit skeptical, but his sister is actually, you know, a bit into psychic. So he's a bit open to it. He's someone so close to him. He's always kind of seeing a psychic. And so he's a bit open. He goes, Oh, you know, you know what? I could, maybe I'll line up and chat to this psychic and just, I don't know, dip my toe in the water. I've got, I've got, you know, no bad will. I'll, See what I can learn. A bit, like, a bit like the skill tester at the at the supermarket. Everyone wants to try. Everyone's just like, yeah, I'll give it a go one time. We'll all give it a go once. <laughs> <laughs> he lines up, waits his turn, and he sits down. Uh, he sits down in front of this of this woman, and he describes her as having like short blonde hair, pretty kind of modern. I think maybe like mid thirties, forties, maybe. And really, and he uses the word bewitching, mesmerizing, green eyes. Mm. And he sits down in front of her and he's immediately taken by her eyes. And she introduces herself as Melanie. And she says to him, what I'd like you to do is, you know, just sit there, be comfortable, look into my eyes um, and don't break eye contact with me. That's her method. I guess every medium and psychic has a different, different method of, you know, tapping into that spiritual realm through your energies and, and through her eyes. And here's, Here's the dialogue of exchange that they, that they had. So Melanie asks, um, Gary, are your parents still together or are they separated? Divorced, he says. Is dad here or he's passed? And Gary says, my dad's dead, yeah. And then she goes, hmm, your dad's saying, what the hell is going on here? Uh, I don't, I don't think he, I didn't think he was into these sorts of things. Um, but he's very, he's very dubious. He's saying to you, what, what the hell are you doing here? And so he's like, um, he's still, you know, he's lighthearted guy. And it's like, I I sometimes wonder the same thing. He, He said back to her and they have a bit of a laugh. You know, he said his dad didn't really understand a lot of the elements of his, you know, flamboyant lifestyle. And they both have a bit of a chuckle. So it's a bit lighthearted, even though she's touched on quite a serious, um, experience in his life his dad passing and then her eyes widen those green bewitching eyes and it, it, the mood shifts a little bit melanie her eyes burn into him and, and she goes your dad's right behind you and your dad wants to say to you that he's very very sorry and that he and he's very sorry that he couldn't be more there for you and at this moment, he's starting to think back, you know, in his mind, he's not letting on too much. And he's thinking back, mm, yeah, like, you know, my dad was dedicated and sometimes a bit absent. And, you know, he, when the parents got divorced, he's, he knows his dad just worked super hard. He clearly cared about um, his kids. Um, and she keeps going. And she says, Melanie says, he, he says, your dad says he knows you'll roll your eyes, but he wants you to take this more seriously. He's extremely proud of the man you've become. Mm. When that word proud really kind of hits him, he's like, you know, it's now it's hitting an emotional tone. Then she goes on, she looks at him and says, you're going overseas next year. Yes. And, you know, Gary says, well, you know, I fly back to 
London once a year at least, you know, got family there, but I live here in Australia. Well, your dad's saying, this is Melanie goes on, your dad's saying, you'll go business class, of course. And then Gary, the mood lightens again. And he's like, I mean, if I could afford it, it would be nice. It would be very nice. So obviously he doesn't, he's not, maybe she's, you know, picked that he might have a bit more money than he does. Bit of a miss on the, on the, you're flying business class. And then, um, once again, this little story in his mind, he remembers this one time when he wanted to fly business class. He was really wrecked from a long trip that he you know, had a few conferences to attend and he was really tired and he's just like, I just need, it's a long flight. I just would love an upgrade. So he, he tries to get an upgrade one time and it just kind of fails. I guess he didn't have the, just didn't get one. And so this is what he's thinking while she's talking to him. It's sort of a weird place in the story, right? Why she, why she even needed to ask him if he was still around or not. That's what I, I, doesn't make sense to me, but I'm like, if she's getting messages from. So is that your, like sh- at the beginning when she says, if he's still. Yeah. Here? Like why would she need to ask something like that? This doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, continue. I'm still, I'm still there with this like green mesmerizing eyes that are very important for cult leaders and eye contact is hugely important for, I'm waiting for some accuracy. She's brought up this business class thing. And this is where um, this is where she says, well, your dad's saying, you know, you'd like to fly business class. On your next trip, you are going to fly business class. And it will be your dad's way of making up to you, you know, the times he couldn't be there. So you will. So now it's a prediction, full on prediction. You will fly business class. And, and then she says, your dad's saying, I know you're skeptical but I'm just so, I'm just so proud of you. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And then Gary, who, you know, he's, he's not usually into these sorts of things. She, she says, do you need a tissue? And Gary just suddenly notices he's, he's crying, just tears running down his face in this like professional business setting with, you know, people meeting and mingling. He's a bit embarrassed. He's like, what, what, what's happening? What's happening to me here? And that's, that's the introduction of this book where he set up, his journey into exploring mediums. So we learn about he's an investigative journalist. His sister's into mediums. He's had a bit of an encounter with one. He's still skeptical, but he really wants to explore, I guess, mediums in good faith. And that's the tone of the whole book, Matt. And I've got a few different other stories that I came across in this book uh, that I want to share with you. But But the general gist of this book, he's a skeptic, but he's trying to be good faith about it. He's trying to go, okay, someone I love and care about, my sister is really into this sort of thing. And I'm not going to write her off as an idiot or naive or just dumb. So he's really coming at it in, in a really good faith way. So, so it's an interesting read from that, from that perspective, but he is coming from the more skeptical frame of reference. Now the book begins and he outlines as he's doing his investigation, all these different tests that he's going through and something stuck out to me that I'm going to pull out of this book. And I I think if you, if you're interested in this journey, read the book as he goes through all the different perspectives and ways people engage with psychics, why they might do it, the, the hits, the misses, the scams, the frauds, and he just kind of outlines it all, but something really hit me. And that's where I pulled out that clickbait, the clickbait at the, uh, at the top where I, where I was saying that, you know, psychics and the elite, like that's a nice, that's a nice mm. trigger. It's got my Alex Jones antenna zoomed right in. 
So as he's doing it, uh, as, as Gary's spending two years to investigate this book and investigate psychics and understand them a little bit more and understand the people that use them as well, he uncovers uh, just how common the use of psychics is, especially for famous people. This isn't surprising. You know, we all hear of Hollywood celebrities going to see psychics. They've got a lot of money. They're a bit woo. They're a bit creative. Like we can understand that. But Matt, psychics being used in the business corporate world. Now, I don't know how down you are with business corporate times and reading the, I don't know, the financial whatever and knowing which companies might be using psychics or not. But if, you, if you're a business news consumer, you might remember this story, which, which he pulls out. So this story begins in 2016 in a boring courtroom, the Supreme Court of New South Wales. Uh, there was a wow. business liquidation case being heard about corporate mismanagement, you know, as you do. And this was for an Australian stockbroker firm called BBY. So I guess they traded, I don't know, I don't know much about it, but they're just some big corporate, big wig broker firm. And they're in front of the court for corporate mismanagement. So imagine that boring courtroom scene. I don't know if you've ever been into a court, Matt, but it's like, you know, the old school 80s, 90s kind of setting, really dull colors, fluorescent lights, a few bored lawyers and some weird wigs. <laughs> some, some weird wigs. And in walks, into as this case is being heard, in walks this elegant looking woman, heavy makeup covering, you know, a crow's feet, a, bit, a few wrinkles. So she's, you know, maybe like mid 40s. I'm just ballparking this here, maybe late 30s, mid 40s. And she's got these dangling pearl earrings. And she's wearing this tight gray jacket with like faux fur. So instantly everyone is like, who is, who is this? Like, it's not your, your black suit, black tie business executive that you would think you would see. So she's super out of place. This woman's name is Naveen Rottinger. And she, Matt, is a psychic. And she's in the Supreme Court of Australia for this hearing. Now, Naveen steps into the witness box and uh, gets asked, I guess, the initial questions, you know, please introduce yourself and what is, what is your role here? What's your career? And the woman's clearly a bit nervous, you know, a bit sweating, a bit out of place. Obviously she realizes it as well, you know, in this, in this setting, she goes, Hmm, I think I'm known as a professional intuitive and an energy healer. The lawyers are going to have a field day with this. So (laughs) all of a sudden, these reporters are just like, (laughs) suddenly this this story just got front page worthy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So what's going on? Why why is an energy healer or a professional intuitive? Like, what is that? And why is she here at giving witness testimony? And she starts to get questions. She's like, so do you have any training or personal expertise in like trading, finance, markets? She admits, no, no, I don't. So this lawyer asking a question, so how are you consulted for matters in relating to investments, stocks and tradings? And now the story is a bit uh, coming out of it. She goes, well, I would consult, um, I would consult the astrological charts and intuit prices. I'd often get an image or a number in my mind of what price um, something should be. And I note that down. Now, everyone in the courtroom, everyone in the courtroom is just frowning or, or is just bemused at this scenario. They're, they're kind of putting the pieces together. So they're like, hang on, 
is this psychic, was she part of this, you know, financial mismanagement? Was she, was there being trades being made, things being bought, sold on what she was intuiting or the numbers that she was kind of putting forward? And obviously the journalists are are loving this, this content um, because someone's just intuiting the financial markets. Um, so I, I actually looked up this case. So I paused as I was reading this book. I'm like, where, where is this? Where is this case? So I, so I looked it up and four years ago, obviously 2016, um, uh, from the ABC, the headline that I found was BBC director, Glenn Roswell used a psychic astrology in running failed stockbroker. I need your clickbait working for ABC, Conrad. It, it essentially turns out that this guy, this head of the CEO of the firm, Glenn Roswell, was in fact, you know, I think a few years before, ran into to this woman, Nadine, at a meditation. And somehow she got into his inner circle, must have given like a killer reading. There's no detail on it. And suddenly she's on the inside of this business corporation, giving advice directly to the CEO. And as I was reading all these reports around it to expand this story, essentially what happened was the CFO who was giving a witness statement, he was outlining that Miss Rottinger was given access to their financial records on these sheets. And then there was even a column for her and she would just put in the numbers and the budgets that she was just vibing. And then that she would pass them back to Glenn Rosewell, the CEO, and he would just like stamp them off. And so she wow. had some influence over over the, like I, this is unheard of. I never would have thought that this would occur in like corporate Australia. Um, and they found emails of like a bit of an email trail. And it turns out he was trying to hide a bit of his email trail, but, but it came out. And so there was an email sent from Miss Rottinger to Mr. to the CEO, Glenn Rosewell saying, um, and the title was wealth clues in BBY's astrological charts. Wow. And in this email indicated that the company quote needed to curtail spending because of a tied aspect between Athena and Jupiter. There you go. Athena, that naughty wench just doing something. <laughs> <laughs> yep. She was essentially in the year of a CEO executive of a trading firm and she was giving advice and he was on some level, uh, taking that advice and maybe that was one of the reasons that led to their, I guess, financial collapse and bankruptcy. So were they trading? Like, I'm trying to understand what she was just giving like a weird intuition. She's just like, this budget should be this. And then, or she was literally trading for them saying, I feel like this will be a good investment. Like what, what role is it? I think it's pretty vague. It's roughly at, like, that's kind of the impression I got. It's like, she seemed in this scenario to be advising on spend less and then in other scenarios maybe like what to buy or what they should sell at or something something like that something to do with money and numbers she had a say in could you imagine like the salary negotiations for her be so difficult you'd just be coming in so what do you think well (laughs) athena and jupiter are saying this so double my pay please it's pretty crazy (laughs) amount of power this chick has I'm vibing 10 mil. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> you don't want to piss off Thor. I mean, come on. I, I tried to do some more research on this. And I, I was I was looking like, what happened to this Ger- Glenn Roswell guy? Who's apparently just a big dog in this financial market. What happened? And 
I don't think anything, Matt. I don't. Th- I don't think the guys in jail, like every CEO story ever. <laughs> I think they ended up in debt six hundred and sixty million, or sixty-one million to six hundred and sixty people, or something like that. And people are trying to get their money back out of this firm. And I think even to this date, like one of the recent stories, twenty twenty was that maybe some might get some money back after another court case or something. I tried to see if like he'd been charged or fine or something like that, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I'm not a great researcher. I couldn't find, couldn't find much. So let's just assume like most corporate big dogs, they kind of get away with whatever theft, whatever theft they do. A little slap on the hand. <laughs> yeah, come on, Glenn. You can't be, can't be investing based on being on a psychic. Um, so that's the that's one of the stories where I found psychics to be unexpected. Like, okay, this is happening. If this is if this is what's come out, he can't be the only big dog executive no. to see a psychic and have this need or desire to find or get advice from like another realm or a past loved one or, or something like this. Don't don't tell me Scomo's into this as well. Is this what's coming out? It. I didn't find a Scomo in there, but some might some might like in his. Uh, Pentecostalism to a very similar phenomenon. So uh, Gary tracked her down. He's like, who is this Nadine? And how did she get such access to such an exec? And he actually, and if you're going to read the book, I won't go into it now, but read the book. He actually does a reading with her. I might reach out to her as well and see if I can get her on the show. But Matt, (laughs) she ain't cheap. I think she's about 150 an hour for, for a reading. And he describes his reading as like happening over Skype. Cause like the energies can go through one zero one, one, whatever waves as well. And, um, he describes like a TLDR on that is that he's a bit underwhelmed, some hits, some misses, you know, uh, but maybe I'll, maybe mm. I can get her on the show. Who knows to describe what Jupiter might be saying in my life. No, I'm now, now I'm giving away my, my skepticism, but that's a, that's one story. Where this is interesting. You know, the skeptics will go, see, you're you're an idiot if you're listening to clairvoyance. You come on, like they're 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 con artists, they're scams. But let me give you another story that may balance the scale, Matt, and make a believer out of you again, if you want to be a rich corporate billionaire. Yeah, well, I'm up for it. I mean, it would make some things that, you know, running a company being easier, right? You can just go out and hire these people and they've got some glimpse into the future you can't see. And that's like one of the most difficult things that CEOs are paid so much money for, right, is dealing with imperfect data sets and trying to make big calls on very imperfect data sets. So, I mean, if they're onto something, Mm. let's do it. I mean, this is what Tim Cook is into. Like, who knows? Maybe maybe Musk is into this for all I know. Is he? Come on. That would be the icing on the cake. Who knows? Like at at this point, after reading this book, who knows? Who knows? Because mm. yeah, you're right. People have to make these big decisions, and maybe they want a bit of security or affirmation in their own decision making process, and need to have someone tell them that they're doing a good job or something. So this brings me to my next story about another Australian example, Christine Holgate. Matt, what does that name mean to you? Christine Holgate. Sounds like a soccer mum to me. I've got nothing. I'm trying to reach out to my intuition. Nothing. What, tell me. <laughs> okay. The op- I don't know. <laughs> the, the, op- the opposite of a soccer mum, Christine Holgate, the ex-CEO of Australia Post, who was recently, you might know her name. Right, that's right. Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, 
slammed her in parliament for getting her team members $5,000 watches as a bonus. And then he- That's right. Yep. It's coming back to me now. Yep. Political move. She was dragged through the mud. Uh, it's a bit of a scandal. Scott Morrison's been criticized for it. She stepped down. So that's Christine Holgate, if you're aware of that kind of scandal there. But if you're unaware, she's a big CEO of Blackmores. The, um, she was, before she was Australia Post CEO, she was Blackmores, the um, vitamins company Vitamin CEO. Yeah. Really successful, well-respected, um, just like a big dog in the CEO world. Uh, successful, powerful woman in Australia. So this story involves her. There's the, there's the background on her. Now, this is a story that she tells herself. Gary mentions it in, in his book. And I looked it up to see if I could watch the video. And I found it. She's giving an address in front of like QUT, some university address or something. And she's getting interviewed by some ABC journalist. She gives a, an address. And in the Q&A, she tells this story. And I feel like it's skated over a little bit too quickly. So I will, I will embellish some aspects to really give it the, uh, the emphasis that I, think, that I think it deserves. She flashes back to Christine Holgate before she was Australia Post CEO, the CEO of Blackmore. She's just joined this company, sells vitamins, essentially. She's trying to, as a CEO, be successful, increase sales, and break into the very difficult at this time, and probably most times, the Chinese market. Mm. Really closed, hard to get in there. You've got to have a, like good connections. But if you can get in, there's a lot of people in China, and you're going to get a lot of money. So this was the task. And in 2014, in Brisbane, there was the G20. And as the G20 is... President Xi Jinping was going to be at this G20. And, and she had been told by her team, listen, if there was some way of getting a photo of yourself and President Xi, we would have, like, sales would just skyrocket. This is, I mean, that would solve all our problems. We'd be in the market. It would just be amazing. Now, as these, you know, Corp- as this corporate world works, Matt, as you know, corporations and politics, they go hand in hand. So how a Christine Holgate can secure an invitation to a private party at the G20 where it's like world leaders. So apparently it's like world leaders and CEOs of big successful Australian companies. I don't like if I wanted to get in there, there's no way. But mm. obviously if you're a corporate big dog, you know, you get in there because you're friends with these politicians. I'm, I get really cynical when reading this story. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they were there. Of course she was of there course. at the G20 with all the most powerful people in the world. <laughs> this is why policy doesn't favor me. Anyway, skate over that. So she goes, okay, yeah, I can probably swindle an invitation to this G20 because I'm rich and I run a rich company. And so she gets a she gets an invitation along with every other Australian CEO. And she still needs to get in and get and get this photo. And she's been told, that, listen, this is going to be impossible. Like, there's no photos at these events. She is going to be surrounded by a ton of security. You can't even have a phone in there to p- take a picture. It's a long shot. And this is where, as she's telling the story, she skates over this a little bit. She slips in there. Just before the G20, I went and saw a Chinese fortune teller. Hmm. So 
what circumstances led her to think? So I think there's a lot that's unsaid that I can't, I infer going, okay. So she's someone who's open to medium psychics, fortune tellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, clear, I don't think she thinks that this this fortune teller knew President Xi. Oh, hey, mate, can you put in a word for me? I'd love to get a photo. But she went and saw one and she says so like super casually. It didn't seem novel to her. So she must be doing it maybe on the regular or it's something she finds helpful. Or she was just really drunk one one night on Chinatown. (laughs) Yes, maybe that was it. Could be anything. It's speculation at this point. So she walks into this Chinese fortune teller. Like I just imagine like walking in, maybe it's in Chinatown. Maybe it's like lots of red everywhere. She walks into this small room, lots of silk, just like really stereotypical mm. Chinese stuff. Cause the Chinese incense. fortune teller screams stereotype to me. Definitely incense burning, like really the strong sense of incense. She's smelling as she walks in. She sits down in front of this Chinese fortune teller. I'm going to assume it was a male. Don't know. That's just how I envisage them. And he, and she says, she, she opens up to him. She says, listen, I need a photo with President Xi. This is, this is an impossible thing. I just want success at my business. I'm just wanting to be a successful CEO. It's hard to be a woman in this, in this workspace. I don't know. I'm making this up. Maybe she said it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Get a bit risky there, Conrad. He looks at her and he goes, hmm, if you wear a piece of green, good fortune will be with you and the photo will happen. Hmm. That's great news. That is fantastic news if you're Christine Holgate. So she goes, all right, then, done. She goes, what have I got to lose? I'm going to give this a go. So she puts on a white dress. At the day of the G20 summit, she puts on a white dress and a, and a gold chain kind of necklace, quite fine. And on that necklace is a small green, like a small green gem. Like I'm talking maybe half a blueberry, like quite a small one. You would, you'd miss it. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a large necklace at all. And she begins to, she's heading into the G20 and she's going into this private party afterwards. And obviously there's security there. Listen, these private parties, you don't want cameras at private parties where CEOs and world leaders, you know, talk about their world domination plans or whatever. So you're not allowed phones, you're not allowed any recording devices. And somehow she says her phone, which was in her bag, somehow, quote Christine Holgate, ends up going from her bag into a small slip pocket on her dress. Somehow, she doesn't say, she says just, I don't know how. Somehow this happened, Matt. I don't know. Maybe magic. It ends up in her pocket. And she's through. She's in. She's gotten her phone in there. Part one done. Now all she needs is a photo with Xi Jinping, like one of the most powerful people in the world. And as this party's going on, she's chatting, having some hors d'oeuvres, and she's talking to, to, you know, some good CEO friends that are all at the party. Alan Joyce, the Qantas CEO, they're chatting. Mm. Oh, who would you like to meet? Oh, um, i got to name drop some some uh, world leaders here. Perhaps um, Angela Merkel. Oh, she'd be, she'd be great mm. to meet, you know. And Christine says, oh, I'd really love to meet um, President Xi. And Alan Joyce looks at her and goes, oh, good luck. Like he, he, that guy's surrounded by security, no cameras, as you know. There's no way that's going to happen. Good luck, but there's no way. And she's really thinking, I need to make this happen. She's looking around. And as she's looking around, she spots, I don't know, the way she says it. I'm going to say, good friend, Margie. She says, Margie Abbott. Who do you think mm. Margie Abbott is, Matt? Sounds like related to Tony Abbott, I'm guessing, or not. 
You got it in one. I think that's um, Tony Abbott's wife, and she she finds Margie Abbott so definitely friendly and cozy on on terms. How many dinners maybe they went to each other's house or something? Is she as awkward as Tony Abbott? Don't know. Never seen her. Didn't Google her. Uh, okay. And so she's like Margie Abbott. I I need your help. She's on first name, and yes, the the wife of previous Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott. And she says, Margie, I need your help. I'm just, as she says, quote, I'm just trying to sell a few vitamins. That's how CEOs see themselves. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to sell a few vitamins. That's all. Just on the corner of my street. I'm just trying to sell some vitamins. And Margie says, you don't stand a chance. Like, the, you know, there's no photographers even allowed in here. So she's been told this again. And is, is this Chinese fortune teller on it or what? Anyway, I think the party continues. And then through a door comes the target, President Xi Jinping. But he is absolutely flanked by security. You know, like I can imagine only one person might have more security than she, and that's probably Joe Biden, but they're the two, two powerful people. And he walks in surrounded by security. She's like, and then Alan Joyce leans over. He's like, see, check that out. There's no way. You know, all these doubters, these doubter CEOs, doubting on the women CEOs. And she's like, hmm, how can I make this happen? And then all of a sudden, Tony Abbott. Australian Prime Minister sticks his hand in the air. And he's right next to President Xi Jinping. And he goes, <laughs> Sorry, I forgot her name. <laughs> Christine. He puts his hand up. He says, Christine, come over here. All of a sudden, invited by the leader of Australia to come and join him and President Xi next to each other. And so she makes her way. She grabs Alan Joyce because she's like, Oh, well, bring your friends along. Why Isn't not? that how this business works? I'll. <laughs> maybe you can get something too Let, let's go and she wants a free upgrade next time she flies corners that's it oh that was the free upgrade <laughs> and so and so she comes over and tony abbott goes oh, i'm sorry uh president she but christine would love a photo with you so maybe you know uh, uh margie has told her hubby that christine wants a photo so somehow tony knows Do- doesn't say how he knows but i'd, I'd say that's the connection He's like, Christine would love a photo with you. And if you Google, Matt, if you Google Christine Holgate, President Xi Jinping, you will find probably like this 2016 camera quality quite low, it seems, a photo of Tony Abbott, Christine Holgate, and President Xi Jinping together at this event. Mm. And as she describes it, as soon as that photo drops, Blackmore sales go from 50 mil, whatever turnover, they go up tenfold. They're at 70, 50, 750 mil. Wow. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like a massive increase. She's broken into the market. She's done it. Um, and she says after that, I've never stopped wearing that, gre- that green um, necklace. And on my wedding day, my mother sewed it into my wedding dress. So she's obviously, what, another little hint, another little hint at like, there's this level of superstition even amongst mm. such high-flying, you would think, rational corporate business leaders. Super high-capacity people. High performance. Someone that's someone of her ability, someone of Alan Joyce's ability, these people are superstars in their own make, like, you know, how they can run these companies. It's not like just picking up the woman's day and going, oh, interesting. I'll wear green today and maybe get a photo bomb. <laughs> but it does sound exactly like that. Yeah. And so is this coincidence or, or what? Because this fortune teller freaking nailed it. 
He told her to wear green and the impossible happened. Impossible. Remarkable, Matt. Remarkable. The only way I was thinking of explaining it was like she somehow had like an early version of TikTok on her phone. And there was just some Chinese connection that made this happen. But this is before TikTok, so my whole theory fell apart. Uh, I like that you went straight to TikTok. You're like, hmm, that's Chinese. Huh? <laughs> it's a whole Huawei so, phone. I don't know. So, oh, tapped. Why tapped? It is like, yeah, we don't need to worry about this phone. So, so that's an interesting story, wouldn't you say? Like, now we've got two a story of two pretty big financial executive players using mediums, seemingly very casual about it and weaving it into their daily decision-making process. One, one ruined a company, but the other one was the success of, of a career of Christine Holgate. Who knows if, if that didn't happen, maybe she never ends up at Australia Post or never, you know, maybe her career doesn't go as well as it did then. So psychics, Matt, psychics. Mm. Still not sold, but keep, keep telling me. Okay, so, well, this is this is the thing. This book continues to outline, like, a lot of different, so he calls them the psychic tests, and this was like the business test, the charlatan test. Um, and he goes through all these different scenarios in which people, people engage with psychics and mediums. And he tells stories that are just impossible, just couldn't happen. How would they know? Even his experience, the, when he gets a reading, some woman says oh, you're in an office of four, actually that should be five. And he goes, yeah, I do actually work in an office of four and, and someone just left, so it should have been five. And so he's like, that's a, that's a pretty like solid hit. Mm. But then he describes sort of a lot of misses as, as well. And I think this is where it takes like an unexpected turn. And I'm glad for this turn and you can explore this with me. Because we engage with these conversations around medium and psychics and the conversation, even friends of the show listening now might be thinking real, not real hoax or legit. That's the, that's the duality that we're engaging with this conversation within. We're measuring it up to be like, who's right and who's wrong. And his book really attempts to sidestep that conversation and provide an insight and level of understanding kind of going, even the people you least expect to use mediums and psychics are using them for, for, for some weird reckless things and some for just like lighthearted sort of things. And kind of showing how pervasive this is, but also highlighting how it's not going away. It's growing in popularity. People, there's something people need and get from their interaction with psychics. And he, you know, describes his sister's journey. You know, the death of a father, his sister finding comfort and reassurance in being able to maybe commune with their past dad in, in a way that he personally, Gary, doesn't understand. But he sums it up in, in, in the conclusion quite well. And I'll read the quote here. He says, people often say, and we'll go to the facts don't care about your feelings comment. Comments may be free and facts may be scared, but we shouldn't always be sneering of feelings in the false economy set up by this binary. Facts may not care about our feelings in a world where technology has paradoxically, paradoxically made us feel in many ways less connected and more lonely. Someone needs to care about our feelings. Hmm. And I think 
that's the interesting frame that he comes to at the end. Mm. He's kind of this, this sidestep that binary that's like, oh, well, let's be factual. And he's saying there is something about this industry, the, these mediums, these psychics that connect with people's feelings on a human level. We readily dismiss them. But he, I guess, promotes the approach of, but if you sit with it, listen and understand where these people are coming from, we probably don't need to sneer or ridicule and we can sit and actually understand the, the feelings people are feeling. And these might be a mirror to helping people understand things, process trauma. He kind of outlines a way where mediums may have a place despite some of the charlatans that he outlines mm. in the book and the ones that I've kind of like a, put to you a there. a clear place that they can, I guess, sit in, you know, maybe like a, say a psychologist can't touch, you know, that there's like a, there's a, there's a lot of barriers there, but that, that maybe even that touch of a fortune teller touching your hand and saying, it's okay to move on from a death of a loved one. It's going to be so much more powerful to someone than, I don't know, 10 psychologist sections, uh, you know, sessions where it's, it's dry or it's, it's too sterile and people, and, and at the end of the day, them feeling like their loved one talking to them and saying, move on is so much more powerful than coming up with some like, I guess, Western, like scientific of like, oh, just, this is your phase of grief or this is what you now need to do to move on and make sure you get your exercise and your eat your greens, you know? Mm. Because he, he outlines, as you said, the, the tendency of people to open up before a medium. You literally sit there, they say something, you're like, yeah, that you might be straight into something personal. Like when in his example at the beginning where he just is straight into the death of his dad, yeah, that actually happened. And he's, straight, he's brought straight to that moment to encounter maybe these feelings that well up, that he's pushed down and there's no space for him to, to kind of explore them. So... <sighs> He does, I suppose, challenge, he definitely challenges the believer for sure because he is on the more skeptical end and he's pointing out these stories that are like, well, what's going on here? But he also challenges the skeptic to being like, well, are we asking the right questions? Are we missing something here? Like you say, like, is there a role? So maybe that's the question I suppose to put to you, Matt. Is there a role for mediums and psychics? Because at, at the top, when I said in the clickbait, I threw this word in there just for you, just to clickbait you, where it's like psychics and the elite, Satan or a hoax? <laughs> like what was, I supp- what's like the previous take on, on, on psychics from a previously religious worldview? Yeah, I mean, someone listening to this that might have had a similar background to me would be like, well, it was very clear from the Bible that we shouldn't engage with this. Like it's so clear. Um from, you know, particularly, I think specifically, I can't remember the exact test, uh, text in the Old Testament, but, you know, basically speaking to fortune tellers um, is like, it's, it's hugely a massive no-no in the Bible. And you see the see the downfall of Saul, how he had to go and see a fortune teller as well. And that was part of his massive downfall. So the Bible's just got this real super negative arc. And from a, I guess uh, you'd say a perspective of, a modern day Christian, they would, I think a general consensus is that some of these people are accurate and some of them, they get their accuracy from demons. That would be, I guess, the TLDR, I would say, from mm. a Christian perspective. 
you open the door to the devil when you like play with tarot cards or, or consult a psychic. Yeah, and actually you could get poltergeist slash ghost activity happening in your house if you start actively engaging in this stuff. Yeah, yes, like su- some super scary. That it's just they just categorize it as demonic. So you've got this religious worldview that almost says it's it says it's real, but these people are of the devil. Mm. Then you've got this skeptic worldview, which in a funny way essentially calls these people the devil as well, because but in a different way, saying they're charlatans, they're tricksters, they're scammers, they're scam artists. So they say they're not real and they're just swindlers and swindling you of their money. But Gary puts forward a few more categories. Now you've got uh, a category where you can say, well, it might not work in the same way we think it works, but it might actually serve a purpose for comforting grieving people or provide a mirror for people to look into and reflect to see themselves or their own struggles and traumas. There might be a use to it beyond these categories of hoax, demonic, or legit and real. Interesting. I mean, it's someone that I think would be really worthwhile looking. Someone's interested listening to this going, yeah, like I've got the feeling I want to see someone. Um, I feel like going through Darren Brown's content on Netflix, he does some excellent thing where he actually hosts fake seances. And I've seen him on an interview actually um, people come up to him and they say, um, oh, what you, uh, could you uh, talk to my dead loved one? And he's like, I, I remember how I said at the start of that talk that everything that I'm about to do is totally fake. Like he pre-framed everyone says like, everything I'm doing is just tricks. It's cold reading. It means nothing. Like it's just me being a showman. And still they're like, no, no, no. Can you still please say something? And so it's just interesting. He's dynamic with it as well. Cause He's a, you know, a skeptic as well. I think he was raised a Christian. He's, he's gay. And I think he's obviously deconstructed and now heavily wants to expose some of this fraudulent activity that happens. And his readings are quite accurate. And he, he does shows on this where he'll host a fake seance and people will still, after they know it's a fake seance, come up to him and say, can you please speak to my XYZ dead loved one? So isn't that interesting? I, I find that's like a really interesting anecdote to all of this is that despite, it, you know, like the fiction that we watch, like we watch fiction all the time. We love it. We can't get enough of these stories which are not true, but we sit there and watch them because they move us. They, they touch us in certain ways. So I wonder if that's something that's going on as well. Like, and when you add in like someone's seemingly incredible ability to cold read or to do some of these these things, I think it can be really compelling and, uh, and understandable. Like, I mean, how, how, how does the scientific worldview really comfort us that much when, a, when a, a someone that we love so much has passed away? Does it? It's just like, we've got some weird stoic sentiments of like moving on and using the pain. Is that enough? And, and do we, I suppose... There's this allowance or, or, an, or an admission. There's almost this admission, like we spoke about, I think, in the last episode we did together. There's this admission that we're not wholly rational people. And I think a skeptical scientific worldview seems to hold like, yeah, yeah, we're purely rational. So if it is not literally true and if your dad isn't literally standing right behind you after he's passed, and he's not literally saying that, then there is no purpose or use for it. 
but there's almost this this allowance made to be like, yeah, I know it's not, but I'm finding this helpful in some ways and I'm finding this is helping the grieving process and I, I find this is helping me, you know, navigate my emotional landscape more, more, um, with more direction or, or something like that. It almost opens up the conversation beyond this tribal battle of, of what's real and, and, and what's not real. And so I guess what, what do we do with this, Matt? What do you do with, with this? There's a lot actually that goes through my mind. I, I think, I think, well, one, I think there's this like innate fear of it still that I have as a hangover from my religious background. So but immediately I, I, yeah, it would be interesting, you know, I guess you'd be open for it, but I would be cautious talking to someone because I think there's just still some reservation within me. And there's a default within me that wants to just write it off as completely fake. Mm. And I think mostly it is. I think mostly it is bullshit, if I was to be honest. However, the anecdote to that, I would say, is that it's not by accident that Ronald Reagan highly consulted a psychic. It's not by accident that it's been found that the New South Wales police has paid for psychics with taxpayer money before. Mm. And I feel if you... If you're into conspiracies, maybe you might be more open to what I'm about to say, but I've done deep dives on remote viewing um, that the US government spent enormous amounts of money on. And I'm, I'm actually partway through reading a book about a guy that's a remote, like was hired by the US government to do remote viewing, to find where criminals were, to, like, to spy on, particularly at that time during um, you know, Soviet Russia. And so... I believe that there's a very maybe select few people that might have maybe extrasensory, you would say, um, sensitivity. I think it's highly underdeveloped in humans. And I think most of what we see out there on just like the, the general malaise of this is, is bullshit. Mm. However, there's enough story within me as, as well and enough weird experiences I can't quite tie a bow into from my Pentecostal background, particularly to know that I think at times some things are weird. Like there's just, there's something, there's like, there's something that is difficult to explain. And maybe that's just that small 1% of hits that are just out of this world is enough to keep this whole industry just chugging along <laughs> with all the charlatans and every, everyone Riding involved. those coattails. Yeah. And I feel... Yeah, and you can feel it's so it's one of the most confronting things watching one of those Darren Brown series where he does like uh, you know he does an actual revival series you can watch it on Netflix where he heals people, he talks to their loved ones, he tells them it's totally bullshit before he's about to do it, and he still does it, and everyone's hooked in. So for thousands of years, kings had these soothsayers and fortune tellers around them, and now we still have it. Is it really that much of a surprise that our poor, you know, ape-like brains that try to compile the world in such imperfect ways just need something to grasp onto? Is it, does it, make, is it, is it that surprising that a CEO that's paid enormous amounts of money to make huge decisions is under immense pressure, wouldn't just have a drunken night out at a, at a, at a, uh, you know, a fortune teller in, in Chinatown? I, I'm not surprised. And is there something amongst all of this that we can't explain that maybe science will have an explanation in the future? I'm totally open to. 
that's greater than at statistical this... chance. Yeah, I, I am definitely open to that. Hmm. And that's, I guess, where it leads me is, is that, is it helpful? Is it most likely explained through intuition and people, these, some of these people just being extraordinarily gifted in like at intuition. They can just read someone's body language. And even though they're, they're believing their bullshit, they're actually, you know, as that person that like, go back to that green eye girl, like at the start of the story, like, and he's getting that reading. Is she subconsciously picking up on cues that she feels her impressions but it's just her subconscious is so in tuned after getting so much practice doing this. I mean, I'm not surprised she had such great eyes. If you watch, I, I got on, I got onto this one. Uh, um, what was it? A uh, Sam Harris podcast where he was talking about the role of eyes in cults, and I've seen this so much in particularly like the more like you know all the big some big leaders within Pentecostalism. They're all very very good at this, maintaining eye contact, not blinking. If you watch the Heaven's Gate exit interviews where they're all going into that spaceship and that that cult leader how he just eyeballs the camera and it's his eyes thing it's just like we are mesmerized by this stuff like it's just something within us that gets swept up in this so if someone's really good at that there's really good intuition i'm just not surprised that we 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 go for it and 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 i feel you add in vulnerability when someone's lost a loved one it's it's fair game there's so many different I suppose, angles to this. And I think that's what this perspective or this approach to it um, leaves me always like questioning the categories of which I approach things within, like the category that I kind of went into this being like, all right, come on, this is, this is kind of a bit of a scam. Um, but now just kind of being aware that like there is this, there is this part of us that potentially might, might even benefit from something like, like this, like how comparable is mediums to prophecy or churches where they lay on hands and all, all these things like Chris, the Christian world won't like that comparison. And I guess that their analysis would be, yeah, they're the similar thing, God and the devil, which to you don't want to be on the wrong side of that split. But if you kind of take the religious element out of it and come from like the materialistic framework of like humans, what we need, like, do we need, do we need some, something like this? And are we willing to be scammed even because part of us needs our emotions to be seen and need to connect with somebody. And maybe we're just lonely people. And I don't like there's I've just, I guess I've just come away with, there are so many aspects to this where I think I land similar to you, like it, most of it's just, <laughs> I feel like most of it's a scam, but would I, would I hesitate to get a reading from my Christian background? Yes, I would. That's deeply ingrained in me. Is it an ideas digest <laughs> challenge? <laughs> How really deconstructed are you? Kind of? I know, but I'll readily admit like, um, some like in, in here in subconscious, like I'm, there's there are stories in here that I know are there, and I'm like mm. I it, I don't I don't know if I because I mean <laughs> what if I did awake the devil, Matt? What if I know <laughs> people <laughs> don't understand what it's like <laughs> sitting on our amygdala is <laughs> like all these dumb stories we heard at like freaking but even, Sabbath school but or indoctrination camps. Even statistically, like statistically, Matt. If there's a 1% chance that I open the door to the devil and he's with me for like a long time afterwards, just 
there's a lot at stake for that one percent. Like, yeah, the odds are low, and usually I play the odds, but it's like, well, there's a lot at stake here. My eternal damnation, my soul, or just a lot of creepy nights with ghosts in my house, or something like that. Even though my rational brain, and this is what this is what I guess this is where hearing this highlights to me. There are two parts of me and the rational side of me wants to just poo-hoo things, think rationally and logically and go, oh, well, clearly X, Y, and Z, this is the way it is. And you're an idiot and silly if you think otherwise. But it holds that mirror up and goes, Conrad, you've got this within you. Like I could look at Ga- uh, Gary's sister and go, oh, you're superstitious. You're weird. Like why get psychics, waste your money, mediums, all those kinds of things. But then I'm also, I've got to be self-aware enough to know, oh, that same irrational longing for connection for understanding for for my feelings to be heard and expressed in a certain different way that only this kind of practice often gives that's within me as well matt so it's Mm. it's a it's given me a lot to think about i mean you would say the, the i guess the rational materialist person would say look at like look at tribal structures it seems like for tens of thousands of years if not much longer, we've relied on shamans, healers, and that within our tribe. They actually, a lot of the time, held a lot of sway over the tribe itself. And so that's almost, and we know from psychological studies that during times of crisis, we default to a leader. Like we like to default to a leader and organize ourselves around those sort of narratives. So put it this way. So is there a survival mechanism that could have been activated in the sense that we needed to drink the Kool-Aid to have a better chance of survival that regardless there was enough like wins out of the many losses of like the shaman saying let's go here and then they went <laughs> yeah clearly got screwed died, yes and they all died <laughs> <laughs> but there was enough wins in there for for those things those stories to persist and for those stories to be helpful and for it to aid in our survival and to aid in some form of tribal identity and to maybe even enhance our connection to our ancestors, which enhanced our connection to our environment, which then made us survive better. That's, I guess, some of the quite like as an explanatory power. Is this some legacy, you know, code that is in our system that's just hanging about that hasn't been updated in a long time? It's less like that random old, like, you know, phone you've got or like Tamagotchi or something that you've got from like some relic in the past that's just hasn't been up. It's just within us still. It's in some basic primal conditioning where going and talking to someone that has the confidence to soothe some of our, our most deepest, hardest trauma, i.e., connecting with a loved one, or just connecting with someone that's going to help us with our poor brains trying to like sort through this mess in a way that no other psychologist or counselor could do. Mm. Or, Matt, or it's real and there's an alternative dimension that we can't tap into, that some super perceptive people can tap into in order to have an aspect on the human experience that that we just don't know. That would be... (laughs) I don't know if I, what I was saying doesn't mean it wasn't true as well, right? It doesn't mean that these, perhaps these, I'm reading another book at the moment about these Aboriginal tribes in Malaysia that, that would have these sort of like, um, these, uh, similar thing, like these, uh, uh, you would call them a a shaman. I, I would say they have an enormous sway of the tribe, but were actually quite intuitive, like amazing 
people. And we and Westerners are spending ridiculous amounts of money to go and talk to, uh, you know, to take psychedelics via some shaman experience, you know, somewhere in the, you know, in South America. So there is, I'm not trying to say that no. my, my little thing before is not trying to like shut it down and say, well, maybe there's some legacy programming that gravitates us towards it for a reason. Yeah. Well, okay. That's interesting because you, you're pulling out, like when we use analogies like old software, generally you thinking new software equals superior and better software. And this is old software that we're stuck with, but in you expanding, then it's almost like you're saying, an older version of software that perhaps was sending a frequency like the AM radio, and we moved well on to digital frequencies of 5G and all this sort of stuff, when mm. these AM radio frequencies are still being sent and there are these people who perhaps can pick up using this more ancient technology of these frequencies or whatever, if we're using that technology analogy, rather than going towards newer is better. It's like you're saying that like that would be the possibility of like there's something in there that these people that we've forgotten maybe that some people used to kind of tap into. Yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> if you listen, uh, some of the people that are more into woo woo, I wouldn't suggest this to the real like Sam Harris fans, but if you want to do some deep dives on, um, uh, Graham Hancock's work, um, he's got written many books on ancient civilizations and stuff like that. Many of which the Sam Harris fans would be like, this guy's just into pseudoscience or whatever, but, I would encourage you to read them and go perhaps, just perhaps the societies, you know, that had these weird, um, you know, that had these unbelievable, like, probabilities of working out how this plan interacted with that plan and how, where, and when you've actually interviewed them and how they learned those, that data was from this, like, beyond the world realm where they learned about ayahuasca and things like that. And then you think perhaps there were some ancient societies that had that were advanced in a consciousness way, not in the way that we are. Like we use phones and stuff to communicate, to, to use for communication, but the tribes and that relied a lot more on intuition to survive. And that legacy system is part of something that used to actually be much bigger than you would expect. But I'll just leave it. I'll, I'll just leave the listener there. <laughs> It's fun to think about. It's fun to think about. So <laughs> if you're thinking about that now, we'll leave you to also ponder where you land on these things. Do you throw it out wholesale? Do you understand where, where some of these people are coming from? Are you, is, was this an easy listen? Are you a bit of a skeptic? And, you know, these things you don't think about too much. Um, hopefully, we've given you some food for thought on the idea that definitely splits communities on mediums, whether you're Christian or a skeptic, if you land on one side of the fence, you will be split. Hopefully you're understanding a bit of the journey of Gary, the skeptic trying to be open-minded about a world where mediums are a commonplace. So thanks for tuning into this episode. Leave your feedback. Itisdigest.gmail.com or on Instagram at itisdigest. And if you have any thoughts, questions, topics you think we should explore or books, you're like, geez, that was a challenging book and you'd like us to explore it, send it through. If you have a, a question, maybe you want to know how tarot cards work. Me too. Let's find a book and let's find a story and let's uh, explore it together. So thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you all in the next episode.